And my favorite thing to do is to start an episode with a laugh. If you caught any of that chuckle, that was intentional. I'm hanging out with such a great crew, such a great time. You've arrived at the DC Comics News Podcast. It's our weekly podcast. We cover a lot of news. This is episode number 95. I am your host, Seth Singleton. I am in my squeaky office chair. If you do hear any grumblings, that's just me. It's not some creaking of the limb, some winter holiday effect. Unless, Josh, you're like doing something right now I don't know about in post-production. In which case, it is some like Hollywood, whatever. I'm hanging out with a great group. We're going to talk a lot of fun. Let's get started with who they are. I'm bringing up the attention of my good friend, Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, how you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing good. I hope everyone had a good uh, Thanksgiving to our American listeners. Nice. Appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm still digesting a good amount of what I ate. Kelly, how about you? How uh, how are you doing today, Miss Kelly Gaines? Uh, digesting? Still eating? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, a mixture of all of it. I think I will be sufficiently full for the next week and a half, probably. But I'm good. I'm, I'm doing well, if not slightly heavier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like for some reason you get into that sort of like desire where you, you're already full and yet you find yourself capable of still snacking throughout a day and evening. Like you'll have leftovers and get full and then keep snacking, or at least I will. And I, I find myself just going, this defies all logic. I'm full. I know I'm full. And yet <laughs> I continue to eat. I, there's snacks. I continue to eat them. Why? Uh, so if you're with me on that, either of you, you don't have to say anything. Just like we won't say anything about whether or not anyone is enjoying better weather than me or <laughs> Kelly. Uh, should that person choose to bring it up, we'll let them do it. See, uh, I said it would seem like I a was... thing without a thing. <laughs> I was keeping mum so... about it, but yeah, I'm in I'm in sunny Sarasota, Florida right now, loving life. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, we're not jealous at all. Brad's gonna be posting no. like damn pictures, and, you know, like. <laughs> He'll have that glow, and the rest of us will just be pale. Just, yep. just a. Pale, 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 pale. Uh, <laughs> actually, I'm not speaking for both of us, Kelly. If you somehow like maintain like that's the magic table, that's, that's, that's possible. I get I, it. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm essentially the same color all year. So, <laughs> it, I mean, which I guess is lucky. Not as lucky as being in Florida, but yeah, I, I managed to to keep a solid. Uh, I don't know. I think my makeup color calls itself sandstone. So, there we go. Consistent tone. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Brad, we will no longer uh, make any significant point about your weather at this time. It could come up later. I don't know how. I don't know where. If Steve was here, I'm sure he would find a way. Steve, if you're listening, feel free to chime in as you're listening. We won't get to hear it, but you can always text us later. It'd be great to hear. You have some quips to throw in. Let us know. We'll tell you all the ways at the end. If you're new, here's the format. We cover the news. We cover movie news, TV streaming news. We move into a little bit of comic news, something we like to call other. And along the way, we have a bit of fun talking about it. I love this gang. It's always a great time. I can't wait till we've got everyone back on again. Steve Kendrick, you guys are missed. We're jumping right off with our first movie news story. And that is the decision to have Wonder Woman 1984 be released both in the theaters 
and on HBO Max this Christmas. Sounds like a win-win to me, but you didn't tune in just to hear me. And that's why I've got Brad and Kelly. Brad, I'm starting off with you. What's your take on this story? Best move? Great move? Why this, this move? I, I think for fans, this is probably a best-case scenario. Um, because there are theaters that are open, and people can still have that option if they're able. But if not, they they can watch it on HBO Max at in the comfort of their home and their 4D TVs. Uh, so I, I think that for the fans, it's it's going to be good. Warner Brothers, on the other hand, I don't know. It, it seems like it will definitely cut into their uh, their box office receipts, obviously. Um, but I, and I just don't think that the counter of people signing up for HBO Max will be enough to really cover that downfall, which is kind of a shame. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping I, I can't wait to see it. We've all been waiting so long at this point that it's just it's going to be a great Christmas present. I just hope that. Um, you know, I, I just remember the first movie and everybody talking about it. it was on everybody's, you know, everyone was talking about it, even if you weren't a comic book fan. And I kind of hope it's the same way with this, even though it's not a lot of people aren't going to see it in the theaters. And I, I, I guess that I hope that it sells a lot of HBO Max subscriptions. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I think this is probably the best case scenario that we were going to uh to get out of this because it's been delayed so long i think the original release date was november of last year um and i mean we've waited relatively patiently but um yeah i think just with the way things are looking as far as covid's going and you know the at least here in philly we're kind of going back into maybe not necessarily a full lockdown but more or less um and who knows if that's going to be finished by Christmas time. So I think this is the best way to ensure that anyone who wants to see the movie can see the movie. Um, and I, I think, though, that we do still have some movie theaters open here. So I, I'm still up in the air about whether or not I'll try to go out and see it in a theater or just get it on HBO Max. But no matter what, I mean, Christmas Day, I am seeing this movie because it's I, I, I mean, the first Wonder Woman was so, so spectacular. Um, and Brad, like you were saying, it was one of those movies that appealed to everybody, whether you were a comic book fan or not. Um, and it just it seems like this is a, a good time for Wonder Woman's sort of brand of, uh, you know, hopeful. Just it, it, she she's the right sort of story for, I think, the, the events going on right now. So hopefully a lot of people see it. Hopefully it does kind of uh, up some of that viewership for HBO Max. But I mean, I trust Patty Jenkins. If she says now, then now it is. That's fine by me. Seth? I trust Patty Jenkins too. In fact, it, it seems like that should be a t-shirt or some sort of emblematic motto we can all get our hands on. Um, <laughs> my local comic shop did a t-shirt for those who are Wu-Tang fans and it says comics rule everything around me. Um, and it's it's quite beautiful. And they also have a great slogan whenever it comes to certain writers and artists, like in Jeff Lemire, we trust, or Lemire. That's one of those names I'm always going to get wrong or right one or two times. Uh, with Patty Jenkins, what's not to trust? She's seen, she's well aware of what her success was in the first one. She's already talked about 
what this film means to her and also how she's already using it to look ahead at what she wants to do with a third uh, and final film. And I think if you know what your trajectory is, that arc, then it seems like you're going to have the best understanding of when to drop it because now you have a plan for what you're going to do with that third movie. Uh, you know, I think you guys both brought up some really important points, which is one, we've been waiting and waiting, and this is going to be a great thing for fans. Uh, Kelly, you're you're <laughs> you're doing my hope thing, man, and I love it. Uh, you're doing my optimism, and I, I cheer that. I think I think that could be the one thing, Brad, that could outweigh your concern about whether or not Warner Brothers loses out too much regarding what they were expecting in potential ticket sales originally and how that's going to be different with HBO Max. I also keep in mind the fact that there is still the option for those who want to go to a theater. And Kelly, you haven't made up your mind. Brad, uh, you're going to make your own decision. We're all going to make our own. You want to chime in whether or not you think you go? I just, I just, I know me well enough to know that you know, I'm, I'm on the East Coast, so generally that means that stuff hits midnight Pacific Coast. So that's like 3 a.m. my time. So I just I, I will not be able to resist if I wake up in the middle of the night to start watching it. I just I, I know I will. So I, maybe I'll see it in the movie theater, too. <laughs> but I know that 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 um, I'm, I'm going to definitely watch it that, you know, on Christmas Day as soon as I can. It sounds like a really awesome Christmas present to me. And I, I think I'm probably going to be at home wanting to watch it for myself personally, simply because I'm lazy and I drink a ton of coffee. I like bathroom breaks. I like being able to pause things. I, I, I get hungry a lot. I just eat. It's just it's what I do, especially when I'm watching something really good. Like I want to stop in the middle and make some great food and sit down. And so, yeah, I think I'm going to love it from home. But I'm curious to hear if others are going to go ahead and venture out. Kelly, let us know where you end up deciding one way or the other. I'm curious to hear what that experience is like. Um, and for the most part, I, I really think this ends up being the best of both worlds for everyone who wants to either venture out or enjoy the comforts of home. And man, when all else fails, trust Patty Jenkins, right? right. Final thoughts before I shift away. And there's my transition into a really fun story that I got a huge kick out of, and that's this Batman Soul of the Dragon trailer officially released. I thought it was huge. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me to enjoy so many great aspects. But before I start talking about what I liked, you should listen to Brad and Kelly. Brad, starting off with you first, what was your take on the uh, Soul of the Dragon? Yeah, this trailer's so cool. It's got a 70s groove, uh, and the animation feels a little anime-inspired, so it's 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 got a really cool style and, and feel about it, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And what's kind of cool, if you looked about the, um, the bonus features, are going to be really cool. Um, they having a sneak peek of Justice Society World War II, which will probably be fantastic and it's got some uh animated <laughs> series episodes which is kind of cool and some look backs at superman red sun and gotham by gaslight so this is a they they really give you some big bang for your buck when it comes to these blu-ray and 4k ultra blu-ray packages with these animated movies and this is this is no different so yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to this one uh kelly 
Yeah, I think I I am a huge fan of um, DC's animated movies. This one, I, I don't think it made me as excited as I've been for other movies in the past. Um, and, and no specific reason why. I think just sort of... I, I don't know. It, it, I mean, I, I'm excited, but not as excited as I've been for... Um, you know, titles that I guess I'm more familiar with. Um, but I, I do really love all of the special features that they um, that they put into these movies and, you know, getting a behind-the-scenes look at some previous movies, which, to be fair, I didn't love Gotham by Gaslight, but, I, you know, that was, that was more out of just a, a general, you know, wow, every woman in this movie is kind of a damsel, even though they're not a damsel sort of standpoint. But then, it's, you know, that also has to do with the book, so that's whatever. But um, yeah, it's I I definitely think I'll see this. Um, but whether or not I am going to like it, we will see. Seth, what do you think? I'm torn on this one. Part of me wants to like it initially because it's Enter the Dragon in so many ways. Like it's such an homage between the '70s time period. Um, you know, our our take on the Bronze Tiger. And uh, and the fact that each one of those characters felt for me like a reflection of a really classic Bruce Lee story. Now, connecting it to Batman and also connecting these warriors from an earlier time when they all trained under the same sensei. And these elements could be a lot of fun, you know, drawing on that history, what it means in this more modern day setting as it's being told. And Elseworld stories generally offer lots of great twists that I, I get a huge kick out of. So there's a lot of things I really am looking forward to, but I have had moments of like, well, that wasn't okay. And we've all hashed these out to greater length than I should probably try and go into right now. <laughs> but um, I do know that what I saw looked like some really great stuff. I was having a lot of fun enjoying the parts that caught my attention early. I just want the rest of the story to follow through because if not, man, it gets really tough when it's such a good setting and great potential behind the story. Also, I feel like the Elseworlds are actually some of the stories that they've actually excelled at. I think I just said actually twice in like 10 words. Uh, um but i think you both brought up some great reasons why we should at least give it a fair shake and then see what it ends up scoring um now for this next section of stories we've decided to go ahead and refer to it well we haven't but i said a name and i'm going to use it right now you've heard the snyder cut this is the snyder slice the section of dc comics news podcast news news stories all related to Zack Snyder, the Snyder cut and all the things that we just can't stop talking about because when's this movie going to get here already? First one on the list is we have new images of Zack Snyder's Deathstroke as well as Martian Manhunter. What did you think of the takes on these two characters? What we've been hearing recently about, uh, say, our Destro character and, and his new look and things like that. Brad, I'm starting off with you. I'm, I'm digging uh, Deathstroke's new look. I dig the mohawk. Um, I think that I think he can pull it off. Um, uh, yeah, and the Martian Manhunter uh, looks interesting too. It's more the kind of pointy head than the Martian Manhunter um, that 
I first was introduced to. But I, I think that that Martian Manhunter is more what comic book readers now associate with the character, uh, especially since the, the Martian Manhunter series that was out um, a few years back. Uh, I, it seems true to the comics and... I, I am really glad that we are going to get to see more of Deathstroke. I still say that that was one of the best things about the Justice League movie was that little post-credit scene uh, where he shows up on the boat. So I, I, I'm all about seeing more of his Deathstroke. And uh, Joe Montalego, or however you pronounce his last name, uh, he he's really into the character too, and, and and I've said many times that that really helps. So it, I'm, I'm glad to see that he can come back and and play the role again, even if it's in you know small capacity. So yeah, I I, I dig these images. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I he looks great. Um, you know, right off the bat, I think my my worry sort of is that we're going to end up with um. I don't I, I because there's only four minutes, I believe, of additional footage being shot. Um, so it, it seems kind of ambitious to build both Martian Manhunter and um, Deathstroke into this in a way that's going to kind of, uh, I guess, do justice to both characters. Because that was, you know, one of my issues with the original cut of this movie was that I didn't feel that they went into, um, you know, Cyborg or the Flash as much as they could have. And it felt a little bit... Um, underdeveloped but i i mean both of these characters look great so if they're able to pull it off in a way that makes narrative sense and if these you know extra four minutes plus everything else that was cut is able to really ground these characters in the rest of the story um yeah i i think i I've, it's one another one of those movies that i will need to see it in order to uh, i'll have to see it to believe it more or less um seth what'd you think i Okay, so for starters, Brad, I clearly was jumping way all over the place when I wanted there to be an OMAC connection a few weeks back. Um, do you remember that little, like, yeah. where I, like, totally, you were talking about something, and I'm like, Brad, I'm walking all over what you're saying. I'm OMAC, OMAC. Yeah, <laughs> so clearly that was just a really cute moment on my part that did not feed up to anything of, you know, uh, substance. But I do... I get a kick out of the Mohawk. I'm trying to figure out if it's going to be altered in some way for uh, this new version. Um, I'm curious also about how we can, Kelly, I think you brought up a great point, how we can have the Martian Manhunter and Deathstroke in this movie to a degree that feels like it's more than just a cameo. Um, I, I also point out, Brad, there was a lot of excitement with that extended scene. And the way everyone's like, ooh, Deathstroke, ooh, that actor playing Deathstroke, whose last name is always fun to say. Uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> there's a part of me that, that thinks about those different ideas. But then I'm also looking at the fact that, yeah, there's only been five additional, but we also don't know how much have been cut. And then there's the way that this is being presented, which is these... Uh, I can't remember the length or total number now, but it's basically these segments that are going to appear on HBO Max and they're going to go as part of like a mini series. Right. Am I close on that part, at least? Um, mm -hmm. So how you can use the cuts that weren't used and also this new additional five minutes and should there end up being any more to flesh these characters out and make them feel like 
powerful moments. There's also stuff that we're going to be talking about as we move into the trailer. So I'm going to go ahead and shelf any other comments I have, I think, for about those parts, because we move into the fact that, as I said, this is the Snyder Slice. We're moving into also some developments regarding the fact that when it comes to the Snyder Cut, there has been a new black and white Justice League trailer with new footage. And we might as well fold that into the discussion because it's relevant to the fact that what we have is some of that new footage right now in front of us. Does it mean something more? Does it change what we can expect for what that total number of added minutes are? Brad, starting off with you, what did you think of this new trailer? What's the new stuff mean? What else? Oh, I, you know, there was so little new stuff that I don't, for me personally, I don't think that it gave me any insight but it did kind of you know keep my interest going um you know all those big trailers that were released during fandom the one that i've watched i think the least is the just is this justice league trailer even though this is like a it's it's very similar to the one that we did get to see at fandom and you know (laughs) don't get me wrong in fact we were, I was just having this discussion with my family the, the other night about how great of a song Hallelujah is. But I feel that it has been so overused. And that just kind of takes me out of this trailer. And they used it again in this black and white trailer. And that just turned me off just a little bit. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, I don't think this gave us any clear answers or, you know, a, a ton of footage but it was anytime you get to see dark side though it, it's it's kind of a cool thing uh kelly what do you think yeah i agree i mean this this trailer didn't give us much that we didn't already have um and again the the fandom trailer was really the the sort of interesting new material that we're i think probably to the the most that we're going to get to see before um you know we actually see the snyder cut uh yeah i mean it's i i didn't get a ton out of this trailer it was and and i do totally agree that um hallelujah is a little bit overused um and and specifically uh actually i think it was um my co-host on dcn after dark pointed out that that song also comes up in uh snyder's watchmen um in the the kind of awkward scene uh when, when they're they're freeing rorschach from prison or yeah um so to me it almost i i wish he maybe found a, a different song to use but i the the trailer doesn't put me off the movie it's just i i feel as if we're not getting a ton of information on how these new elements are going to work we're sort of just seeing the same things over and over um and that does make me a little bit anxious so we'll see seth Okay, so here's my first take, and it's my problem with CGI. Um, I can't tell how big Darkseid is. I'm just saying that right now. Because later when they showed Steppenwolf, I couldn't tell who's supposed to be the bigger figure. Did anyone else have that problem? Just yes or no. Did anybody else notice that? Like, Darkseid didn't see gigantic. You know what I mean? Like, he was big, but then Steppenwolf they showed again, like in his new revised version, and I was like, wait a minute who's bigger and that was my first like take me out of it like as as soon as he like opened that scene i was like he doesn't look very big why doesn't he look bigger what's 
happening. So that was the first like take me out of it. Okay, so um, so Leonard made the song amazing. Um, Buckley sort of ruined it for some people. Um, when they used it in an episode of The West Wing, it was considered to be jumping the shark at that time. And that was like 2002, maybe? I think it was like near the season finale of 2002. Maybe maybe it was middle of 2000. So it's now 18 years later, and I feel like it's still just – it's been used too much. It's one of those things that needs to go on Kendra's Tropeville show and just sort of be like, no more. You cannot use Hallelujah for like – 15 to 20 years until it's had a chance to just recover. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, it needs a moratorium. I don't, I'm not sure what, what, what the right word is for that, but like there was a grace to the guy who started singing it. Buckley did a nice version. And so you heard it way too many times for too many reasons. I mean, don't play it at a wedding. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't play it at certain events. Uh, like so, the yeah, sign at just, the guitar store. No stairway to heaven. <laughs> exactly, yeah. man. Like, like, can we get I a think new version? The first version time I heard this? it was on Shrek mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was in grade okay. school. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's a point, right? There's like a limit to certain things. This one's maxed out. We need to go ahead and, and, and let it go. Um, but other than that, I, I think that I found myself trying to figure out what it was that I should be connecting to in this new trailer. And there were a few moments that caught my attention. I mean, one, the black and white is lovely. When Diana's walking in that really beautiful shadowed shot with the you know gorgeous architecture and the shadows, I thought it was like some really lovely, you know, cinematography. I thought there were some beautiful moments. And I like the Just Us development. I, I think there's great possibility there uh beyond that there wasn't as much for me to hang my hat on so i'm waiting for more to hang my hat on and i, I guarantee you when we get there i'll i'll have more to say but i i think also you guys brought up some good points one there's a song that needs to be put to bed and it needs to be put to bed with the lullaby that's other than itself and also there's some other things that we should just consider like i need to know Dark side bigger than Steppenwolf. Can I see them standing side by side for a comparison? It's not a big deal. I just want to know. Maybe it's like, you know, Superman's not always the biggest guy in a scene. There's other characters bigger, but he's the strongest. So if that's the thing, I'll need to see it. I'll be fine. That's my rant. And guys, thanks for helping feed me along a little bit. You, you have great ideas. You just sort of amp me up, which is why it's really fun to move into our final bit of the Snyder Slice. And the uh, revelation that, no, there will not be a director's cut of Man of Steel at this time. Does anyone remember a time when they said there would be no Schneider cut? Hmm. Hey, Brad, what's your thoughts on this? <laughs> I'm just well, going ahead and like baiting the hook. Don't mind me. You know, I he's got a point, though, when he says that there really wasn't that much extra footage shot. So... I, I wouldn't necessarily expect there to be uh, a Snyder cut of um, of Man of Steel. Plus, there was a whole, you know, the whole thing with Justice League with um, get, you know, Joss Whedon having to come on board and things like that. So you had this feeling that 
Zack Snyder never got to realize his vision with Justice League. Not so the case with Man of Steel. That was that was his vision. Now, if we if Snyder Cut is really successful, which it, it seems like it will be, and um, you know we do get forward with the air cut of Suicide Squad, maybe they can do some kind of even more extended cut where they somehow use the footage or somehow release the footage, uh, you know, not necessarily on YouTube, but maybe on um, HBO Max in some way. So we might get to see it, but, you know, I, I, I don't see a need for a Snyder cut of Man of Steel at this point. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think, um, yeah, I mean, Brad, like you said, with Justice League, there is, there is an actual reason to see this different cut. Um, you know, because he had to leave in the middle of production, because there is uh, an entire unrealized version of this movie. Um, but when it comes to Snyder's other films in the DCEU, that's not really the case, um, especially with Man of Steel, because Man of Steel was, you know, was his project. And I, I mean, personally, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I don't think adding additional footage or cutting it differently would really change the problems that I had with the movie. Um which to me was mostly just the the tone of this Superman movie being so dark and kind of so alien and not really, um, you know, grounded in the not humanity, but humanity of the character. Um, and, and same with Suicide Squad. It's that was his movie that there was no, you know, shake up in the middle of it. I, I don't really think there has to be a recut version of that movie either. Um especially considering we're getting an entire remake. So if we're going to do a remake, we don't need a recut too. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. my, my impression with the remake was that we're kind of, you know, just going to put that version of Suicide Squad aside, maybe forget about it, maybe pretend it didn't <laughs> happen um, and, and start over. So I, I don't really see a need to, to rehash all these films. Um, and, and in a way I, I don't want that to be the new, normal with um with these movies or with any movies that you know uh, they'll release a film and then based on our reactions based on you know hindsight a couple of years later go back recut it and re-release a new version I mean to me that kind of cheapens um you know the the artistic value of putting the movie out there in the first place that it's you know this is what we created this is the the editing the actors performances and I, I don't know. I think if every movie gets a do-over, that kind of takes away a little bit of that um, uh, of the the pride when it does really well. Um, so yeah, I I kind of hope that we don't see a director's cut. Uh, what do you think, Seth? I think you really nailed something. You know, with the idea of look, if you stand by your work, then you do. And if you had to step away from the project like Snyder did suddenly, and it was put in someone else's hands and things had to change. Yeah. At some point you're going to want to come back and do something about that. But he even says in the article that we're referencing that he felt that Superman was everything he was trying to accomplish. He, he might not have done it perfectly, but all the things he wanted to put in that movie were there in the movie. Very few things that got taken out, were because of changes that were out of his control. He was in control of this project. He made those decisions. Um, Kelly, I, I agree with you on the the tone. That 
I love Man of Steel, but it's one of those ones. It's like, it's like reading. Uh, it's like certain things. It makes me cry. Like it's just gonna. Like I watch Man of Steel, and I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I'm gonna fall. This is just gonna get me. It's so sad. And when I actually I read Henry Cavill cried watching, I was like, I feel better now because it's sad. This is just. It's a hard movie, and sometimes. But I also have a lot of things that I genuinely love about it, and I feel like. I don't think there's a lot you need to change. And you also brought up a, a great point, which is how would it cheapen it to, to go and, and make these changes for all these other projects? And you brought up something that I had meant to mention earlier when we were talking Snyder Cut, and I didn't. But that was that there's also this possibility, and in this story it's mentioned of the you know suicide squad, of an Ayers cut. And I don't think <laughs> there's much that needs to be done about it. And I liked your idea of we're just going to go ahead and put that over there. We're just going to you. You're going to go right there. You're done. You had your moment and time for a new take. Time for a fresh go. Uh, Brad, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, there's that old saying that art is never finished. It's abandoned. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, technically you could keep adding on to these films forever, but is there anyone out there really who thinks that what George Lucas did with the original Star Wars trilogy added to it? No. So, I mean, I think there's something to be said for leaving these, you know, these things alone. You know, I'm reminded of a 90s TV show called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. And there's a great moment where the character Mike, who's always got the guitar and he's like the soulful kind of hippie music guy. And he's like talking to the big guy, Kubiak, who's huge. And he's like, Kub, man, sometimes you just have to pick up your guitar and walk away. Just walk away. And Kub's like, but Kub no have guitar. And I, I chuckle at that because, you know, it's easy to see like, but that's not related to my situation. Yet sometimes you got to walk away from art, man. Sometimes you got to abandon it and say, look, I'm, I'm tired of beating my head against the wall. I did all I can do. Time to uh, to let go. And Really? What else needs to be changed with these projects that's going to fix the overall problems that other people might have with them? If it's not, then leave it be, man. Move on to the next project. Don't keep trying to <laughs> don't keep trying to do more. I was reminded recently of an author who does that, where every so often he kept re-releasing the same book with changes. And people are like, can we just get something new? Because that would be great, because we've read this. And the little changes don't make a big enough difference for those of us who, eh. Now... That was our last take on the Snyder Cut, but our last story coming from the movie section of this week's episode, episode number 95, is the announcement that Joker has been nominated for two Grammy Awards. Now, Brad, I love the fact I'm starting off with you because you were a, a big champion of the soundtrack for this movie. And I wanted to get your take first on the uh, these two Grammy Award announcements. I Yeah, I, I, I think the, the score was really one of my favorite things about this movie. Uh, it just worked so well, and I was so happy to see that it, you know, when it won the Oscar and all the other awards it won. I really don't see how anything else could come close to winning. So if I was a betting man, I would definitely put some money down that this was going to win the Grammys, and it, it should. It, it absolutely deserves it. The score was incredible, probably one of my favorite scores of all time. Just the way it worked within the context of the film was just uh, incredible. So I think it definitely, definitely deserved these awards. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, um, I completely. There there was something so beautiful and eerie and unsettling about the score to this movie. Um, and, and that one scene that um, 
I believe is nominated and I forget which specific Grammy it's for, but that, that bathroom scene where he's, you know, kind of has just shot these men in, uh, in the subway and is dancing. And it's such a creepy and strange scene, but it is probably one of the most visually interesting scenes in the movie. But what really drives it home is that soundtrack, that kind of melancholic, uh, I, I don't know if it's a violin or a cello, but it just sounds, it sounds like the Joker. It sounds like somebody transforming into, into that kind of character. Um, so yeah, I would say that I, I am definitely betting on them for the win too, because that, I mean, wow, what a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. What do you think, Seth? Well, one, I, I have to agree with you, Brad. I don't know what's going to compete with these two categories against the Joker. I don't know what's going up against it, but I don't care. I don't know what can compete. Um, and you also brought up something that I think is huge. Your your list of outstanding, that's that's a list we got to go over at some point with everybody else. That sounds like a whole other episode, guys. I'm just mm-hmm. putting it out there. Like favorite superhero movie soundtracks, just go ahead, plant the seed, add a little bit of water, let it, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll come back to that because that's that's huge. And Kelly, you were talking about one of my favorite scenes, the one that it's nominated for. Here it describes it as the best instrumental arrangement. I was not aware of this category before this. I will not remember this category after we finish talking, but I will remember this song, this scene, the bathroom dance, as they call it, which, yeah, wait, wait, come on, bathroom, it's a dance. And it was gorgeous. And that was the moment when I really thought to myself, okay, they're showing us how he finds this place in himself. He's like, it's like like interpretive dance, but also this ability to channel something within you and feel it in this gorgeous, I am not also musically trained in any way, so I can't tell you if it's a cello or a violin, but it's haunting. And while you were describing it, I found myself thinking, haunting. That's a really good example of the Joker, like this haunting melody, this soulful, poignant, painful melody that's beautiful. And yet at the same time leaves you with this horrible feeling of something that's wrong or that's about to go wrong. And something had gone for him terribly right, for others terribly wrong. And that transformation, a huge moment, the music was such a great component to this movie. I'm I'm thrilled to see that it's getting the recognition it is. It's already scored for the composer, uh, a Golden Globe, a BAFTA, and an Academy Award. Do not ask me to figure out how or what a BAFTA is right at this moment. I can. I just, I'll butcher it. Let me go. Let us end movies with that story and have a bit of fun as we shift right into TV and streaming news. That's right. Catch your breath. Hold on. Starting things off with two very interesting stories. One, the... ah, Man, this one bums me. I was looking for some really smooth way to say that, and it just bums me. Black Lightning will end with its fourth season on CW. And along with that is the announcement that Black Lightning star China Ann McLean is leaving this season four with a limited role that had already been established, and she's going to be... uh, Leaving for the reasons I, I'm going to let everybody else describe a little bit. Brad, I'm going to let you take over this story, both announcements. What's your take? Uh, I'm, I'm bummed. Um, this, I really enjoyed Black Lightning. Um, it, 
um, it, it had kind of an interesting voice uh, compared to the other um, CW shows. So I was hoping it would stick around at least for five or six seasons. So that's a bummer. Trying to put a silver lining on it, it does kind of get to leave at the top of its game uh, instead of sticking around where, you know, we, we talked about jumping the shark earlier. Uh, you know, it, it never jumped the shark. So it, it can leave on a high note. And, you know, uh, I really like China Ann McLean's character, too. I, I, I like Lightning and I liked her struggles on the show with the powers and, and everything. Um, you know, as far as her reasons, they were kind of nebulous, something it almost maybe seemed like she found God and God was saying, don't be on these godless TV shows, um, you know, come join the church. So I don't I don't exactly know which what her reasons are, but, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of a shame because I, I did like I did like her as an actress and I did like her character. And an, another little bit of silver lining is that we might be getting uh, a painkiller show with that backdoor pilot that they're going to be showing so that that would be interesting i I would like to see that see that pan out uh kelly what was your take yeah it is um it is definitely disappointing to see this show end um but brad like you were saying to see a show go out sort of at the top of its game before it starts um you know getting repetitive or or losing quality is definitely preferable um and it, it her reasons for leaving the show, I mean, I guess at this point it doesn't matter that she was going to leave the show after this season. Um, but yeah, it is it is kind of vague and not really, um, you know, at least I think in this article, she made it clear that it wasn't an issue with CW or the showrunners or anything like that, that, um, you know, it was something a little bit more personal. But I mean, I guess at this point, it's not that big of a deal if um you know the show is wrapping up anyway although i am interested to see um you know this backdoor pilot and see if the the painkiller show really does pan out because that would be a really um a really interesting kind of new layer to the the cw universe but uh i mean it's it is unfortunate but at least they you know they did get a, a several season run and again are leaving on a high with a lot of fans um, and, and who knows, this most likely won't be the end of, of Black Lightning for us in a lot of ways. So, you know, maybe we'll, we'll see that, that spinoff happen. Maybe there'll be some sort of a relaunch or they'll end up in another event. Um, and of course we have HBO Max, you know, kind of gearing up with all of their DC properties. So you just never know. Uh, Seth, what'd you think? Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys both said uh, to, to go, you know, back to just review some points that really stuck with me. Uh, one, it's disappointing to hear that this show is ending. I, I loved it. I thought it brought so many great ideas to light. It raised a lot of really fun questions. And for me, it was a, a joy to watch black lightning develop, to watch, uh, to watch lightning, to watch thunder, to see the challenges. And Painkiller was such an interesting character, the way he came in and out. And I guess the thing that I'm most encouraged by that you both brought up is the backdoor pilot. And because we'll get a chance to see Painkiller go through a process, we didn't see as much with Black Lightning, which was Black Lightning kind of comes to us at the top of his game. He's already, you know, 
married. He's got an identity that he walked away from and he chooses to go back to. Painkiller was under the heel of Tobias Whale. He was completely controlled. He was subjugated. He was really put through a lot. And that's going to leave uh, a lasting mark, one that could lead to some really interesting stories about developing his own personality, coming back from the injuries, defining himself as this new version. Is he, you know, an anti-hero? How is he going to, you know, choose to walk whatever heroic path he's going to choose early? Never actually walk one. That could be the fun of the spinoff. You know, who does he choose to be and, and what kind of stories do we get out of that? And that also brings up, you know, some hopeful ideas. Kelly, you mentioned maybe with HBO Max, we can see more. Maybe through the Painkiller series, we'll get to see some of our favorite characters from Black Lightning make some guest appearances, play some roles. Um, the China and McLean story is interesting also because, Brad, I'm going to come back to you on this one because... Honestly, the first thing that came to mind to me was Angels and Airwaves. Do you remember that? Uh, What's his name from Blink-182 okay, suddenly had a spiritual yeah, moment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it was a similar idea. I mean, when she says mission from God, I mean, essentially, like, first I think Blues Brothers. Um, and then I pull away from Blues Brothers and I think, like, okay, who else have I heard this, you know, with a mission? And that seemed to be, like, one of those big things that, stuck for me was the angels and airwaves idea where suddenly he was like, I'm going to make this band and we're going to do, I mean, we're going to do something different. We're really going to try. I just remember hearing one of their songs and hearing the story and the DJ was like, and that's so-and-so from Blink-182. And man, I, I really hope he does change the world. <laughs> like there was almost this like hopefulness behind it. Like he's such a talented artist. He can do that. Are you, you remember that one? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that band. Yeah. It was, I was, I was wondering like, if you were thinking about something else that I didn't know about. It's like the band, yeah, because I didn't, I didn't, um, I, I didn't know that he had like a spiritual moment with it, and he's like, we're gonna do this. Um, but that's that's really interesting, and that and that makes sense because I think, that, well, I know that in a lot of ways that their music is a lot more sophisticated and deep than <laughs> like 182. So <laughs> it makes it makes sense that he had to follow that. <laughs> Yeah, Kelly, I was curious, had you heard about this story? Were you familiar with? No, uh, yeah, I, I think I've heard of Angels and Airwaves, and obviously I, I, I know Blink-182, but no, I did not know that. Yeah, it was this, this really interesting development. I remember just looking it up, and the conversation, I can't remember which band member it is, uh, because I just... I'm not that cool or smooth or well-researched. This is just me on the fly. Um, <laughs> but the idea was he was just like, yeah, man, I just had this moment. And it was like this spiritual awakening. And I just knew from that point on, this is what I had to do. And I was like, whoa. So when I was reading her story, it was just this instant recall idea. Like, I've heard this before. Now, the other crazy thing is he did it with a band. She, like she said, her reasons come from her recent experiences in the pandemic. This could be someone deciding to feed the homeless, to engage in other things that a lot of people would define as God's work. I'm curious to see what that, you know, result is. And if along the way she could have a recurring character on either Painkiller or another show and pop back in every once in a while and we'll hear some of her message or however else she's going to share it with us. But I was really caught by that because that was the first thing that popped in. And I was like, Brad's a music guy. I wonder if he knows this story, what he'll say about this idea and this connection. Wait a minute. I don't know much about Kelly's choice in music, but now I want to know if she knows this story too. So 
that's where I was coming at it from. Uh, I got a, a kick out of that connection and also just this idea of big changes coming up for CW shows, another one coming to an end following the announcement of Supergirl. And where it is we might get the chance to hopefully see these characters in the future. Kelly, you know, go ahead and championing the hope idea there with the possibility of HBO Max. I didn't even consider that. Now I will. And I'm emboldened and encouraged. And I'm also emboldened and encouraged because a new character based on a new comic that hasn't even appeared yet is in development for a new show with Berlanti Productions. Brad, starting off with you, what did you think about this Wonder Girl TV series with Dalen Rodriguez? I think this idea is really cool. Um, it, it makes total sense. To, it would be a perfect CW show. And CW show has, you know, really tried to have a lot of representation from, uh, you know, different different groups. So uh, a Latina superhero is is perfect and it, it's really cool from a comics fan standpoint because uh, the character is Yara Flor who you know is going to be introduced in Future State and that's really cool because that's it makes me think that the stuff that they're going to be doing in Future State is going to have a lot you know it's going to be a lasting impression it's not going to be something that oh, wasn't that cool for a few months and now we're back to the status quo um you know, these these characters are going to be be staying around for a while. And I think that that's a really good sign. And it makes me more excited to even read those future state issues. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, I I am very excited to read for uh, future state. Um, and Yara Floor sounds like a really cool character. Um, I and I think this was the first time I saw, uh, you know, a more fleshed out background of her um, compared to some other articles I've read. Um, but that she's the daughter of of an Amazonian warrior and a Brazilian river god. I mean, that's that is really cool. Um, and it it kind of ties back in, you know, Wonder Woman's mythology as far as being a demigod um, in in a way that I think will ring true to sort of that whole Wonder Woman mythology, even though we're seeing a totally different, um, you know, a different facet of it and a different character. Not only that, her costume, from what I've seen so far, is really, really cool. Um, so I, I'm definitely excited to meet this character. I do think it's maybe a tad presumptuous to immediately um, put a, a TV show in the works for a character that hasn't come out yet. But at the same time, there's no, um, you know, I have no overall bad feeling about it. I think that if they have, you know, that sort of faith that she's, you know, she'll she'll carry her own and she'll be able to carry a TV show as well. I I think that must be the case. And it is uh, amazing that they're focusing so hard on, um, you know, kind of fleshing out this DC universe that has a lot of representation and that is um, inclusive of heroes of, of different racial backgrounds and, and sexual orientations. So, yeah, I mean, this this is awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out and may or may not feel the need to acquire her costume as a Halloween costume at some point in the future. Um, Cause I, I do really enjoy a wonder woman with sleeves and pants out of just logistically. So <laughs> Seth, what'd you think? <laughs> you know, sleeves and pants are going to come back in another conversation about yep. costumes and Brad, come on, man. Yep, 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 yep. I was thinking to be getting on that. Kelly beats you the punch. Thing. Okay. <laughs> Because on this story, yeah. Kelly beats you the punch on this one. She's right. This costume that we saw. Now, we were jawing about it before because it's awesome. And it's just 
it's such a fun take, which is such a reflection of what you guys have both brought up, which is this new version. Not only is it something that's appearing in Future State, but also when it comes to Yara Floor, we've got this great concept that's also been now here's the thing that I want to get you guys' take on. Because a little while back in in Wonder Woman, they introduced a completely different contingent of Amazons who were from South America, based in Brazil, and were living in a hidden city that got exposed by the, I can't remember what the Dark Forces combination bad guys who were attacking Wonder Woman were. But they were draining the energy from these women using some elaborate trap. And in the process of preventing the villain, Wonder Woman reveals to everyone that there's this whole new group of Amazons. Has anyone, I feel like I brought this up in one other episode. Um, if I didn't, it was a great conversation I had with myself and I imagined having with you guys. Um, but the, the moment they did this, I was like, we have fertile, un, like a blank canvas, fertile ground, this amazing opportunity. And we can take one, this concept of um, an Amazon warrior who uh, has a daughter with a Brazilian god. So we've got a whole new pantheon we get a chance to introduce, which is huge. And we also have an entirely different take on Amazonian ideals, lifestyles, culture, based on whatever the kind of root structure was before they stopped being part of the Amazons that we know already from Themyscira. So one, uh, I really feel like those were some great roots that now we can see hopefully make Yara Floor's appearance in Future State really strong. Brad, you brought up this great point of whether or not it's going to be, you know, something that lasts or something that we go back to the status quo. And this seems to be banking on the idea of this is the next step, the next evolution and banking a show on top of it. Kelly, you brought up a great challenge. Is it too presumptuous? Are we asking too much of a character we haven't really established yet? Do we have enough hope, promise, belief in the creative team that's going to be behind this? CW shows have done really well. We've seen some great examples uh, right now, we're looking to see how well Stargirl can make the transition from DC Universe over to uh, CW. So that's going to be an interesting test that might highlight what we can expect. But, man, this is an exciting character. My brain just immediately goes to, like, how much do I really know about Brazilian gods? Not very much. <laughs> how much am I going to learn about Brazilian gods? Oh, this is going to be really cool. Like, you know what I mean? I can imagine how many people, and, and Kelly, you brought up the cosplay side, like, how many cool people are going to go, that's my Wonder Woman costume. I no longer have to worry about the temperature outside because it doesn't require me to freeze <laughs> in a specific way or, you know, try and camouflage the fact that, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm freezing and miserable. But, you know, here. I <laughs> so I'm, I'm thrilled. And yes, we are going to be talking more about fashion and stories. And Brad, trust me, we're going to be we're going to be we're going to be picking your brain on some of this stuff. But we're going to do a minor little neither little pause and we're going to shift to one other story and then we come back to that fashion set so what's my what's my pause what's my transition how can i justify not giving brad that opportunity to well teach us all a bit about fashion well it's something else i know he has plenty to say about and i'm talking about the dmz series that's been talked about for i don't know how long anymore but is now to be helmed by ava duvernay and robert patino 
both names I hope I say correctly. Brad, you can correct me or not, but just tell me what you think because I've heard you talk once or twice maybe about DMZ and your, you know, yeah, uh, you know, um, I'm a little torn by this in in uh, a sense. You know, we talked about our Trust Patty shirts. We should also have Trust Ava shirts. So I trust what she's trying to do. But during quarantine, I actually reread all of DMZ. And it it, it seems like how they described it um, is almost going to be taken from the point of the Z character. Um, the like you know Z in 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 the comic she was a friend of Matt Maddie Roth who was like a medic who would set up free clinics around the city and it seems like that's from her point of view which is which is fine it was a great character but it seemed like there was so much material with the idea of the Matt Roth character and you can gender swap it that that certainly doesn't matter but. I think that these days with all the stuff that's going on with press and fake news and all the nonsense, focusing on a reporter in the DMZ would be a really, a really cool thing. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the villain, um, the, the, the way he's described is cool and all, but I think Parco Delgado in the comic was, a definitely a different type of villain and i think that if he it would be more interesting to me if it seemed like he was going to be more like he is in in the book so i i trust ava and i trust her vision and rosario dawson's you know amazing so i'm you know she's going to do a great job but i i just kind of wondering if it's a missed opportunity in a way that they kind of changed the story so much uh kelly what do you think yeah, I haven't um, I haven't had the chance to read DMZ. Uh, so everything I'm I'm learning about this story in this universe is coming from, um, you know, these these articles about the show that's coming out. So it, it is interesting to kind of look at what narrative changes they might be making. Um, and I, I definitely did, again. Yeah, I fully trust Ava. She hasn't hasn't let me down yet. So. <laughs> I am excited, and I do think it's cool that we're kind of seeing her um, take on a, a big or bigger role as far as um, crafting different DC and comic book properties, um, because I, I assume at some point in the hopefully nearer future, um, we're going to see the new gods as well. Um, and as far as DMZ, from what I gathered, this is kind of a, I, I don't know if I would call it timely as more of a, a hot topic issue right now that it, it takes place in a um, post second civil war United States and that the you know clearly there are huge huge lines of division um, and and so my hope would be that this is one of those stories that kind of um, you know brings us back to what's important in a sense but again I, I haven't read the book so I'm not sure exactly what tone or what direction the series takes which then just goes completely back to trusting the creative team that you know they they know what stories work at what time um so yeah i i'm interested to see this and i might actually have to pick up and read dmz before this comes out because i i would just love to know i mean brad like you were saying i'd like to see that kind of shift in perspective and how that changes based on the final product we get uh seth what'd you think 
Man, I'm all over the place now. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, you guys have made me think about more than I expected to when I was originally coming to this story. Because I, I remember reading DMZ, and I remember it being one of those books where uh, I would find myself in the graphic novel section of a bookstore and stumble across something. So I came across a, uh, one volume that had so many issues collected, and it was the first couple. And I remember reading through it. And I was really just sort of, you know, sat down at the table, one of those tables with the chairs and just sat down and I was blown away by this. And I was trying to recall when I was reading this story, how relevant the Matt Roth character you were talking about, Maddie, um, Brad. And I was thinking about, okay, well, maybe I didn't read enough about this story. Maybe he was part of the introduction to the story and he didn't play as big of a role because then it shifts into that great flashback with the Rosario Dawson character, which is right around the moment the events occurring when there's actually like the physical violence in the streets. That's like this declaration of war between two very divided sides of America. And while I was listening to you guys describe it, then I was thinking about what you said, which was trust in Ava, which Kelly, you were echoing. And I also was thinking to myself, well, I don't know enough about how the series continued on. So Maybe Matty Roth didn't play as much of a, a role, but if he does have more of a role than what I remember from Brad, I think you bring up an interesting point. And I wonder if actually maybe we wouldn't get to have him added later after we sort of established Rosario um, and the, yeah, I can't yeah, remember his, go ahead. I would say that would be an interesting, Please. I think that they should do that. But also one thing, they said that it was going to be a four part miniseries. And that seems like, man, that seems like something that they could stretch out. (laughs) Yeah, but not even that, but just at least not say, hey, it's going to be a limited series, but kind of give us a hint that it could continue because there is a lot of story in DMZ, like a a lot. There's a lot that happens. So um, I, I, I hope it can continue past those four. Those four episodes. And if I'm they do, have to then read it to know. <laughs> yeah, you got, yeah, I'm you guys should. It's, 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 it's worth it. You know, maybe what they could do is kind of make it almost. And um, if you if you read more into DMZ, it, it almost there are certain parts that almost seem like it's an anthology. And maybe they could do like an anthology series, like a, a True Detective or American Horror Story, where you focus on the first season with. Rosario Dawson's character, and then maybe in the second season, you know, you bring in Maddie Roth. Um, so maybe that would be be an option too. But you know, not not to spoil anything, but Maddie Roth does is is a huge part of the entire book. So he's not just like something that was in there for like the first arc or anything. Like he's okay. he's in there for the long haul. Cool. Well, now I, I do want to go back and, and read more about this. Kelly, I'm going to go ahead and take a, you know, a nod from you on that idea and see if I can get my hands on this and read it before this series comes out. And I want to go back to something you mentioned too, Brad, which was the idea of, I remember the introduction of Parco Delgado in that series and it being very unpleasant. And I didn't really, like, I thought to myself, this guy is going to be a thorn in the side of anybody who deals with him. And that's if he chooses to let them deal with him, if he doesn't just remove them from the board. So when I heard Benjamin Bratt was cast for him, I thought, that's a really attractive guy. 
I don't know if this guy is going to be, you know, the same way that he was in the book and how that's going to, you know, be represented in the in the thing, because, man, that guy's way too charming. <laughs> well, you know, what's Brian Wood originally kind of created him to look like Sendog from Cypress Hill. And he was asked, you know, he was asked, well, who would you who would you cast in in the role of Parker Delgado? And he said, well, I kind of. You know, I know he's not an actor, but I kind of, you know, in my head pictured Sendog from Cypress Hill. So that's a whole lot different than than yeah. Benjamin Bratt. Interesting perspective. Thanks, man. I had, I didn't know that either. See, now I have to read more and know more. And in the meantime, I have to trust what you guys just said, which was trust Ava. You know, ha- have a little faith, trust the process, and also remember that even those we might have doubted a lot. Like that guy who did that Watchmen project a little while back. They they have some, you know, unknown potential that we're just waiting to discover and see. So I'll wait. I'll discover. I'll come back with you guys after we get a chance to check this out. And who knows? We could have a lot of fun to say. Maybe not. Um, final thoughts before I move into another Felicky fashion story. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's time. It's time. We got a chance to see Starfire in an outfit, in one that I can justify now as a comic book fan, because I'm going to be honest, growing up, Starfire was really hard to justify. Like, I wanted people to take some of the comics I read seriously, but Starfire's outfit made it really hard. It was like, yes, um, yes, it's hypersexualized. What you what do you want me to say? I can't I can't do anything about this. On the other hand, is. Well, this is another one that I want to see people wearing for cosplay and Halloween and all of it. But, Brad, you're my fashion expert, my friend. I turn the mic to you. Yeah, I I really dig this. And I got to go back to what Kelly said about how she likes the Wonder Girls wearing, you know, pants and sleeves. And that's exactly kind of what I thought when I saw this picture. It's like it's because, like you said, like you were saying, it was such a her, you know, Starfile's costume was so sexualized. And this but this costume, it's still it's still sexy, but it's it's definitely tactical and and a lot more practical. Uh, I like the purple and gold color scheme with the hints of the green. Um, uh, I dig it. And I, you know, when when we got our first look at Starfire from the first season, there were so many people that were just ugly, gross trolls who threw a bunch of hate her way. And now seeing this picture, it's just like, man, I hope they are just feeling stupid because she looks fantastic. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm really digging this look. And I think overall, despite Connor's pants, I think Titans has really um, has really nailed it with uh, costume design. This is just uh, another example. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, I, I I don't know if I told you guys this story directly, but more or less, Starfire's costume um, is what made my mom throw away the first uh, the first <laughs> trade paperback my older brother and I had when we were kids. <laughs> um, that single hand, well, that and and a comment that she read from Beast Boy, but more or less, my mom was like, "Well, this isn't anything like the cartoon because it, it was uh, it it's a very uh, yeah, over-sexualized costume. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of arguments for it that, you know, well, she she gets her power from the sunlight and that helps her absorb as much sun as possible. And okay, fine, fine. But like, 
you're telling me that there's no way to maybe make like a solar paneled suit that, you know, even hypes up that ability. Um, And also it it gave me very unrealistic expectations for how being an adult woman works because you cannot do a bunch of flips and running and jumping and all that stuff and keep everything where it's supposed to be when you're wearing essentially purple ribbons. Um, it, It just, it doesn't make any sense. But I, I do love this new costume um, and, and it is still sexy and it's still very form fitting and it, it looks fantastic. Um, but I, I think overall it just it makes sense for the character and she really, really looks like Starfire. Because um, I, I think when season one and those, uh, you know, ads about or, or the, the initial pictures of her came out, the problem was more or less, you know, the she's she's wearing this big fur coat she has a purple dress on but it's kind of like what is this um and I I like that we're throughout the course of this show getting to see these characters kind of come into their own and take on these uh these visual cues that maybe we didn't see it initially um yeah I mean this this is just a great costume and again this is something that I I wish all of these costumes existed um when I was in college and freezing my butt off waiting to get into parties because I would have loved some pants and some sleeves and, and just anything that made me feel like I'm not a, a, a glittery popsicle. Um, so yeah, I, this, this outfit is just perfect. Seth, what did you think? No one should have to feel like a glittery popsicle just because they want to dress up like a fun character they like. It's just, it's just wrong. I don't, I don't think that's fair in any way. And Brad, you nailed it, man. Like, <laughs> how much anger and animosity was thrown towards Starfire when we first saw images of her and all these questions. And yeah, Kelly, fur coat, not what we immediately associate. And yes, I have heard you tell this story. I heard you tell it to Tony, and I thought it was hilarious, and I laughed my butt off. Um, because I also remember that it was like, it was like a pact between like you and I think your brother and you were both stashing the book and I don't know who got caught with it, but then like you had to explain it once you got caught with it, (laughs) you got caught with it. Yeah. I, I wasn't being so subtle about putting it away. (laughs) Gotcha. Confidence. It happens. It's okay. (laughs) But yeah, that, that empower girl, like I couldn't justify power girl ever. Like, it was just never possible. And you look at Power Girl and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's why, why? And I get, yes, also that, you know, the point of the suit is harnessing energy. But when you want more suit to harness more energy, doesn't that make a lot of sense? Is there something about, like, the more exposed skin and, I don't know, divided cleavage you have, like, somehow that means you absorb more sun, which doesn't make any sense to me in any way this suit makes a lot of sense to me i think it's really cool um you guys both said sexy and i think the great thing about this is there can be sexy that's classy you know there's nothing better than an amazing uh form of elegant fashion or attire there's also form fitting that's athletic and intentional there's stuff that's designed for this makes a lot of sense for uh 
a character who is from a warrior planet, who is a warrior princess. Um, it seems strategic. It seems functional. It's also regal. I mean, purple and gold. Come on. And I love the image where we actually see that fire coming out of the hair. I was like, oh, I want to see this on screen now. Can we can we get down? And both of the pictures, whether it's that action shot or her just standing, it, it feels like what was described so well by you both. The idea of these actors gradually owning these characters and not on anybody else's timeline. It's not like they had to show up on the first day looking like this. They've been building this through these great seasons. And man, this is huge stuff. So, uh, Brett, loved your fashion take. Kelly, thanks for pointing out that no longer is it necessary to be a glittery popsicle just to get into a party in a fun outfit that you wanted to wear. I can honestly say if it's an outfit I want to wear and it means I have to be a glittery popsicle, I'm, I'm probably going to be less inclined to do it because... I don't think anyone wants to see me as a glittery popsicle, and I'm okay with that. I don't think I need to be seen that way either. Uh, <laughs> what I do have a little bit of a question about is our next story, which is one we were really excited about as a follow-up to the Matt Reeves Batman. And now suddenly there's some questions about, well, who's piloting this ship? I'm talking about the Gotham City Police Series spinoff for HBO Max tied to Matt Reeves the Batman. Um uh, Brad, what's your take on the possibility we no longer have a showrunner? Uh, see, this is why I don't like to get too excited when they announce shows, because things like this happens. Uh, I just I hope that they can hurry up and find a new one and get everything back on track quickly, because in a way, this is going to have to be time sensitive because it's it, they're going to want it to come out at least within some kind of the buzz of the Batman movie. So. They can't wait too long, so they're going to have to act pretty quick because, you know, we as fans, it seems like we have to wait so long for that movie. But in the grand scheme of things, it's coming out really soon. So I just hope that they can, you know, pull it together and find a new showrunner and get back on track. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess this show is is still so, um, so far out in the, the grand scheme of. Uh, you know, to us when it will actually be released, it doesn't, it's not immediate alarm bells, but it is, it's still alarm bells whenever a showrunner leaves a show, um, you know, for creative differences or whatever other reason. Um, and yeah, they, they do have to tie it into the release of Matt Reeves' Batman. We can't see that movie and then three years later have a show that's a spinoff that just won't work. Um, so my hope it would be that they find the right person quickly. Um and yeah, I just I, I have to wonder what it is going on behind the scenes that would cause that kind of a rift. But, uh, you know, it's that that doesn't necessarily bode poorly yet. So, yeah, I mean, I'll 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 choose the hopeful path for this one. Hopefully they just find someone new and, you know, keep the ball rolling. Seth, what do you think? I'm not really sure quite yet what to think about this. I I didn't really feel like I had this part of me that was going, wow, you know, knowing that so-and-so is the showrunner makes all the difference for what this project's going to look like. I did know that it was connected to the Matt Reeves vision of Batman, and it sounds like there was a creative difference or creative differences between the showrunner who left and Matt Reeves's vision. And I think if you're going to 
as you guys both pointed out so well, have a show come in connection with the Batman movie and, and not have this three year gap between the two, then that's also going to require this connection between the two. There should be these threads that make it feel like there's a reason, a compelling part of the Batman movie that then translates to, I want to see and hear more about these characters who are now going to be in the show. And I don't know where the differences occurred. So it's really hard to weigh in at any point. And this is so far out there um, that it just leaves me thinking, well, I'm be curious to hear what those reasons were when we end up seeing what the project looks like as it's eventually you know, put on HBO Max in connection with the movie coming out. And then we can make some decisions for ourselves. But right now, it sounds like whatever the theories were, philosophies, they weren't jiving and somebody took a walk. And that's going to happen as long as it doesn't disrupt the show from actually moving forward in the timeliness that we're looking for. I'm probably going to be okay with it because if, hey, if you're not getting along at the beginning, you're probably not going to get along later on. And if you have a lot of things hinging on that, why why put more pressure on top of a relationship that's not working? So, uh, no, that's not any attempt at relationship advice on my part, please. <laughs> However, when it comes to creative differences, man, sometimes it's just the way it is. And you shouldn't try and make two visions work if if they simply aren't going to work well together. And that brings us to a wrap. Well, now, this one's kind of interesting. It sort of bridges us into comic book news. So I'm going to keep it in because it falls into our uh, TV and streaming. And sometimes you're just going to go ahead and, and trust your editor. Um, so we've got this new character who's arriving and might be appearing elsewhere. I feel like maybe there's a hint for the fact that we've got a suggestion of Kid Quick. Guys, is this a comic book story or a television story? I'm going to let you decide whether or not we do this now and take an app break or we take an app break and fold it into comics. We're doing this live. What's your take, Brett? Uh, you know, it's more comic based, but I think we can talk about it before we take our quick break. OK, then yeah. since we're talking about a quick. Yeah, Kelly, you with that? I am down. <laughs> okay, then we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and get this last one in, and then we'll take a break and move on to more comic stuff. So, Brad, you, you sort of teased it so well, you sly dog, you <laughs> kid. Quick, right before our quick break, is the character we're talking about a new character, non-binary, gender fluid? With that, Brad, what was your take on the description and also the appearance? This, you know, this goes back to future state and how they're introducing um, these characters. And I think it's, it's, it's a really cool way for DC to um, help with representation and help their characters do, you know, apply to a lot more people um, with this kind of, you know, re-envisioning at one moment type of thing. And it's really, it really feels like a positive step into the future. So the, the character, has a very cool look when it comes to the whole fluidity thing. I, I, I really dig it. So this, this is, this is, you know, one more thing to get me excited for, uh, for a future state, man. I just wish they would release like one of those big, <laughs> um, omnibus hardcover collections right out of the gate. So I could just get everything in one big book 
and <laughs> and just go through it, devour it. Because this is just, yeah, this stuff is is uh, you know very very cool, and I and I think that it, it's a very clever way to introduce these type of characters with the whole future state lineup. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, this looks awesome. Um, and I, I think, are, are we getting, uh, not a preview, but are, are we getting an initial introduction of this character in, I think it was the, the Very Merry Multiverse that's coming out on December 8th, which would be really cool. Um, I, I've tried before to collect kind of the holiday, um, whatever you want to call them, holiday DC stories and I I've my collection's growing but it's still not that great so I'll definitely be checking this out um and yeah it's I I do really like that Future State seems to have such a, a heavy focus on inclusion um and again Kid Quick looks awesome I'm very excited to see where this character goes um and yeah I mean a, an omnibus out of the gate would be the ideal because I Lord knows I have so much, uh, I, I'm the worst at keeping up with things and I tend to come to it in my own time. But if I could just get everything in one big book and read it right out the gate, then I would be so totally caught up. But at least now I, I know what to look for and I know to pace myself. So, well, you know, we'll see. Uh, but Seth, what'd you think? I want all of us to say DC's very merry multiverse. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you are correct, though, on that, because you made me flip through this story a couple of times going, is she right? I read that somewhere when I was reading. Was it this story? Yes, December 8th, DC's Very Merry Multiverse. If you're out there and you can say it five times fast, send us a video. I want to see that. Just do your best. Kid Quake does look really cool. Uh, another fashion story for you, Mr. Felicki. Um, and also, uh, I think you guys are, are part of a chorus that others are cheering along with the idea of, can we just get an omnibus? Can we just dig right down and have a lot of fun already? Uh, there's going to be a lot to keep up with with uh, Future State. It's going to be a little tricky. I do love the holiday issues. I've been a fan since they've brought them back in whenever they decide, like, hey, this is stuff people like. And I'm like, yeah, it's really good and it's really fun. And I love this introduction that we're going to get of Kid Quick. I love the style. It it gives me flashes of Kid Flash, Impulse, a little bit of Jesse Quick. Um, I, I love this new take and this new possibility for the character. And also, I feel like with new characters, I'm going to learn new things. It's going to be a lot of fun for me to, to discover more and see how this sort of fits into the storylines that we're going to be seeing coming out of Future State. And also... It's part of the Flash legacy, always something that gets my interest. And there's something fun about young speedsters making mistakes, learning new things, having a lot of fun showing us what we never consider about these powers that we've seen others do so well and for so long. And somebody else comes along and goes, you ever try it that way? And you go, oh, that's so much fun. That's so cool. So I'm pretty excited for that. And uh, thank you both for deciding that this was a story that we were going to include before our quick ad break uh i love quick stuff like that that's fun we're going to take a quick break we're going to come right back we've still got comic book news we still have other news and you're going to want to hear what these great people i'm hanging out with have to say about all of it stay tuned i promise it's worth it this is seth singleton from dc comics news here to tell you about the spinner rack each and every week 
DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Hello listeners, this is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogur. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f*** that. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents... Mad Love. The Harley Quinn Cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. And like that, a quick ad break. Kate, went, and now we've got comic book news. If you've been sticking around for this part, your patience is about to be rewarded. We already teased a little bit with our story right before the break when we were talking about a new Flash character. We're going to talk now about a sequel to a series that, well, I'm going to let everyone else describe what their take was on The Three Jokers and Jeff John's suggestion that there is a sequel that he and Jason Fabok have already been talking about. Brett, your take, my friend. I... I what I what I really liked about Three Jokers is just how well the story and the art combined. So I really love the idea of them 
working together again because it was just yeah it was just a match made in heaven um and there was and, and i don't want to and i'm not going to spoil anything but there was one specific thing that happened at the end of the book that i would like to see addressed in a way that doesn't make me so sad and hopefully they can uh they can deal with that in in the sequel so yeah i, I would be more than happy to to read a sequel uh kelly what do you think yeah, I think I would too, and especially because it is the original creative team. Um, I, I tend to be very pessimistic about sequels, um, you know, just on the grounds because of if something's original story is really strong and really well done, um, you know, there's there's just such a a chance for the memory and the the legacy to be cheapened by a sequel. But when it's the original team, um, and when it, it's you know, seems to be being discussed so close on the heels of the the original Three Jokers story ending. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see this. If it does happen, I think that this will be a good idea overall. Um, you know, it, I, I certainly would have a different opinion if we're talking, you know, five years from now and it's a, a slightly different team doing the shakeup. But yeah, there's there's things that they can elaborate further on there's you know issues that can still be resolved so i would definitely be interested to see this what do you think seth i'm curious also and i think you brought up a great point kelly about the idea of it being the same creative team um brett you brought up without giving anything away thank you for doing that because that's something i can do so well and should i stumble along that way well come on and let me just do it by myself. I'm clearly good at it. Uh, <laughs> there was at least one sad moment, maybe more, that were hinted at that if they could resolve would be great. But also, I feel like if it, if we're talking about the same moment, that it also really informs so much more about like this trajectory of certain characters and, and the way their stories develop and the reasons why sometimes they are who they are, the things that were never really shown. I... I want to see more behind the story and I want to see it develop with the same sort of intention that three jokers did. It's telling you more, but also leaving you with a lot of questions, not giving you a lot of solutions and also asking you to, in this case, trust Batman, like just trust Batman. <laughs> um, I thought it also brought up some really powerful ideas, questions, and theories about the motivations behind the jokers that were introduced to and what the potential stories are still left that could be told and, and where they could cover a lot of fun ideas that maybe we didn't even consider so i like this idea i'm curious to see where it goes and i love that it's part of a series of batman stories that for me are a lot of fun to think about especially based on what we've already experienced the next one of course is a really interesting story that that I've enjoyed so far, and I, I I'm thankful now we've got another volume on the way, and that's the Batman Earth One series. Now this one's been stretched out a little bit. They don't come one after the other. Is this something that you know is an example of how you can still do projects over an extended period of time with a big break between each release? 
Um, or does it suffer from some of the concerns that we don't want to see with three jokers, but have seen with other projects, which Kelly, uh, you brought up and, um, I'm intrigued about because this is a series that I feel like I'm always like, are they going to cancel it before they finish? But volume three tells me we have a lot to look forward to. Brad, what's your thoughts? I, yeah, I think, I think it depends on how good the story was. If you would want to come back or like it enough to remember it, to come back, oh, you know, a long time after the, the preceding volume. But with Batman Earth One, definitely for me I, I i'm excited because that the the first two volumes are what got me into the whole earth one thing and i always more so than most any batman comic uh when i was reading those i felt like i was watching a batman movie and i thought that this would make a really cool batman movie down the line and i really want to see that continue so i i for one i'm looking forward to it because i thought the first two, two volumes were so well done uh kelly Yeah, I've I've enjoyed the Earth One um, book so far, and I haven't read um, the Batman Earth Ones, but I have read Teen Titans and Wonder Woman Earth One. Um, and I think with this series, it's sort of the expectation that there are going to be a couple of years that go by between each volume, um, so it doesn't feel as uh, you know, it doesn't feel like they're kind of unburying and rehashing something. It just it's almost the expectation between the books at this point. Um, but just the excitement around the fact that this volume is happening soon makes me want to go back and read the first two volumes of Batman um, Earth One. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely need to read this so I have more of a perspective on where the story's going and how it kind of picks up. But again, I mean, the, the Earth One books have yet to disappoint me for any of the ones that I've read. Um, and, and there does tend to be this huge break in between, but as long as the quality is good, then that's fine. I mean, maybe don't make me wait a decade, but I, I can wait a year or two. Uh, Seth, what'd you think? <laughs> good words to live by. Don't make me wait a decade. Please just <laughs> don't make me wait. Um, I, I really am looking forward to it because I love the first two volumes, the way you both were mentioning. I, I thought they did a really wonderful job. And Kelly, I'm with you. I also really enjoyed the Teen Titans. I love the Wonder Woman books uh, book. And I've been always just keeping this little part of my that's like, you never know what happens with these projects. Sometimes they can just end. And this one keeps reminding me that it's okay to want more and uh, hope for more volumes to come our way. I, I felt like these stories still had a lot left that hadn't been revealed yet to audiences and hopefully would be. This encourages me a great deal. And it reminds me that, yes, if there is a certain period of time between each volume, then that should be part of the expectation. And I appreciate you both addressing just because I was curious since it was brought up, like, what is the process behind when there is a continuation of a really great volume or chapter in a set of stories? How long is too long? I think the one thing we can keep in mind here is don't make us wait a decade and we'll probably be okay. Keep the great creative team. We'll probably be okay. Give us great stories for waiting so long. We're probably going to be okay. So I overall feel really good about this one. I love the story. I love the idea that, you know, he's got to, Bruce has got to rely on his network. And also it's about Harvey. And we've got some questions about where is Harvey? How's he back as? And what's this version for these uh, Earth One books going to show Harvey's direction when he comes back on? So 
lot to look forward to, a lot to enjoy. And our, well, actually the rest of our comic books has Batman themes, Batman connections, Bat family. Steve, where are you, man? Really? It's okay. It's okay. So for this next one, <laughs> uh, we've got a great team coming back. So what's the Bat family connection? Robin. What's the other connection? Well, Superman. I'm talking about Superboy and Robin, the Super Sons. This time, the challenge of the Super Sons, their return coming our way. Brad, what did you think about this announcement and what many consider to be one of the best things to come out of Rebirth? Yeah, you know, I it's of the the Super Sons have always been on my radar um, as something that I should check out because I've heard a lot of good things about it. And knowing that they're going to be continuing it makes me want to um, put that closer to the top of my list to to kind of get caught up on because I, I have heard really, really good things. So uh, in that sense, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, I might have to uh, reread the, or read the uh, Super Sons uh, books before before it comes out. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, bring it on. Uh, Kelly? Yeah, I'm excited for this. And it's funny, reading the synopsis, um, I, that there's these scrolls that if, you know, if your name is written in them, um, you're going to die soon. It's my immediately, my immediate thought was, oh, that sounds an awful lot like uh, the anime Death Note. And then I scrolled down like another paragraph in the article and was like, and that is exactly what they said here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but right. I I do like the, the idea that because the Super Sons are kind of this, a little bit more uh, vibrant and, and hopeful and colorful element to the DC universe that it might be really fun to see that kind of dark atmosphere clash with, uh, you know, just with their sort of hopeful brightness. Um, so I, I think this is definitely something we're going to check out. Um, and who knows? I mean, someday that could be a really fun comparison uh to, to write about just where <laughs> where those things uh you know coincide but yeah i mean th this sounds like a really great series that's what you think i only stumbled across uh super sons when i was getting into the spinner rack a while back and suddenly there they were on my radar and i'm reading issues and i i laughed every time i read the issues they were just so buoyant like, it seemed like they were always put in these, like, gloom or doom type scenarios. But they were always like, yeah, but we kick butt, so we're cool. And <laughs> the stories got so outlandish. At one point, there's, like, all these cloned versions of villains, but they're little. So there's, like, a little Lex and a little Brainiac. All these little It's like, it got really outlandish. It got really silly. But it was, it was full of this, like we can do anything anything's possible and wow isn't this so much fun and it was infectious every issue was just infectious so i feel like much like we started off this episode talking about wonder woman and the need for that sort of hopeful rejuvenating feeling and something i totally forgot to mention which was when we were talking about that story does anyone now want to see like a kamala harris wonder woman variant like that one brand got in trouble for with uh miss ocasio ortez and is anyone else like just thinking about that? Like, wow, it feels like there's a reason to be a little more hopeful as these things are coming out. Yeah. Super oh, Sons yeah. is that same vein of hopeful. Um, yeah. Sorry, Brad. Were you going to add in? A, no, a no. Just say, yeah. Now that you said that, now that I would love that. 
Yeah, I mean, recently Savage Dragon had Joe Biden and Kamala Harris on, and he's like, I endorse these. So come on, man. Like, guys, we've got Wonder Woman at DC. Why can't we just, you know, go for the variant and say, why not? Go ahead. Tell me why not. I'd love to hear it. Uh, This story, though, for me, is just part of that sort of hopeful, wonderful, joyful thing that Super Sons did the first time I read it. And I want to see them do now. And Kelly, you've already brought up a great possibility for a future story to give it some perspective with an anime title that appears to be part of the inspiration. So, hey, why can't we talk about this more in the future and potentially at greater length? Now, there is one more story on our comic news section, comic book news section. And as I promised, it is still within the Bat Family, Bat Vane, Batman theme of comics. And that is the announcement that a record $1.5 million was paid for a Batman comic book at an auction. But not just any comic book, is it, Brad? No, it is the first appearance of Batman. And we seem to have talked about this before recently um, of an issue that went for, was it 850000 or something like that? And here we go to $1.5 million, which did break records. And what was interesting to me in the story is they said that the last record set for this issue was $1.1 million. And it was graded a whole grade below. Uh, th- this this one that sold was one whole grade below the one that went for 1.1 million. So Batman can't be stopped. This just goes to show exactly how <laughs> how popular Batman is. That the issue, like the you know the back issues, are going up so much. I mean, people just cannot get enough of Batman. Uh, Kelly. God, if this isn't just, uh, I, I mean, parents never make your kids throw out their comic books. You just never know. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing that, uh, I mean, $1.5 million. I don't, I, I don't know what sort of life you have to have to have that just as extra to spend on a comic book. But I mean, I mean, I guess you have to be Bruce Wayne essentially, but yeah, that, that is an impressive sale for a comic. Um, and I, I think I always get so melancholy about, um, you know, older Batman books because, uh, you know, it's the, the whole Bill Finger, Bob Kane thing. And I mean, Bill Finger made, what, $130 off of, uh, you know, helping with the design for this book, which just makes me a little bit sad. And actually going into um, one of the stories we're going to talk about later with the Batman statue, I totally have have a, a thing for that that ties back into the whole Bill Finger thing. Um but yeah, that is, I mean, it, that's just dazzling and impressive. And I would, again, love to know who has that kind of money lying around right now. But yeah, I, I mean, good for them. That's what you, know, you think. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that, you know, I, you brought up that Bill Finger. I, I just watched that documentary, Batman and Bill, and it's incredible. So people who are listening, if you haven't seen it, watch Batman and Bill. It is yes. an incredible, incredible documentary. So I, I totally, totally agree times. with you 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's hard. Sorry about that, Seth. It's a beautiful. Oh, it's fine. That's a beautiful documentary. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I was recently traveling uh, home with to take care of some stuff with family. And one of the messages I got was that my mother-in-law wanted me to know that she had watched that documentary as sort of a homage to me while I was gone. Like, oh, you should know I watched that documentary. I thought it was very good. <laughs> I said, yeah, it it really is. Right. I thought it was a really beautiful documentary. And actually, it takes place not far from me. Alamo, the theater that he goes is maybe about an hour north of me. So now I'm like, I want to find this guy. I want to find this guy and have a conversation and maybe see if we can all have a conversation with him. Because now that I know you're not that far away, like, come on, buddy, I'm going to find you. And it's a beautiful doc. It's a beautiful story. He's clearly a passionate, <laughs> passionate advocate. And what he was able to help bring about is a huge story. And Kelly, you, you really pointed to something that I think Bill Finger um, is emblematic of, which was how many other creators, how many other like wonderfully talented people did not get more than a pittance compared to the people who were relying on them for a lot of the grunt work when it came to these books. Uh, this is a powerful example of how, for all the things we love about it, comics was and still is an industry. And it's one that didn't always have the best industry standards or practices. And there were some really tragic stories that came from it. I can also just agree with you both that I don't know what kind of lifestyle you live where this sort of thing is possible um, because I can't afford this book. I never will, not at that price. Uh, and Brad, you brought up something that caught my attention. You're right. The previous version was like an 8.0 and this is a 7.0. And then the story goes on to say the record is a 9.0 grade for 3.2 million. Another kind of living that I just can't associate with. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, if you do that, you've got an 18 car garage and six yachts, I guess. But something I, like that. <laughs> I think all three of us, if we had that kind of money, if it was by a few Lambos or by Detective Comics 27, we'd probably all go for the comic. So, <laughs> yeah. If it's I nice got there are other people that, out yeah. there. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not going to end up in a horrible accident while reading the comic, unless I'm trying to drive while reading it. But otherwise, it's it's this beautiful thing, I, part of history I get to be a part of. Uh, I've I've driven cars. Yeah, I did that. This is singular, to say the least. And Kelly, I'm biting at the bit to hear your story. So, I, folks, we're moving right out of comics because that was the last comic story. We're moving right into other news, and we're going into a story that. I want to hear more about from our good friend Kelly Gaines. But, Brad, this, the rotation has been with you. I'm going to keep it true. What was your take on our next story, the huge Batman statue unveiled in the city of Burbank? I think that the world needs more huge Batman statues. So wherever they want to put them up, put them up. And that is that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, Kelly, let's hear your story. Yeah, I I love the statue. I love that it went up. I think so. My kind of overall critique was just reading the plaque that's under it. It's kind of a a bare bones plaque because I and I don't know if this is just me being. Uh, it, maybe I've been watching too much TV recently, but I'm picturing like okay, a uh, hundred, two hundred, maybe a thousand years from now, post apocalyptic world, somebody stumbles across this statue, and that that plaque doesn't tell us a whole a whole lot about 
who Batman is. It's just, you know, the Batman based on drawings by Jim Lee, yada, yada. Uh, I, I feel like I would have much rather have seen, you know, kind of Batman, the date of the creation of the character, maybe a, a little thing about Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Um, cause, and, and going off of the, the documentary we all just talked about, um, one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts is uh, Bob Kane's headstone that it, it basically says he was given this vision from God to create Batman and all of the, and it just, to me, it was such a, a kind of cheap shot. Cause it's like, well, I mean, Bill Finger really got the short end of the stick here. So I think if there is going to be a Batman statue, um, you know, up in Burbank, I, I just feel as if Bill Finger should be mentioned. And I mean, you know, Bob Kane too, because at this point, you know, he's, He's kind of grandfathered in there for forever. Um, but, you know, it's just it's something about that, how there's, you know, this creator's headstone that will always proclaim him as, you know, the sole creator of Batman. I, I would have liked to see the statue maybe do a little bit more uh, plaque wise, just, you know, because God forbid there is some kind of nuclear holocaust and Batman's all that's left standing. This will tell the aliens nothing about us. Um so that was that was my rant. That was my side story. Seth, what did you think? <laughs> I want aliens to see this and go, what happened to these guys? They all were amazingly ripped and powerful. And, <laughs> and all I'm thinking is, that was never me. I don't look like that ever, nor shall I. And um, if if the aliens think we look like that or did... They're going to be like, wow, what what happened to you guys? <laughs> Clearly, you were Dark Avengers of the night and you no longer are because we just kicked your butts really easily or you wiped yourselves out. And this guy doesn't seem like he's that kind of guy. Um, and without any other description, I, I think you brought up a great point, Kelly. And since for the most part, Brad and I had very little else to say except tell us your story. We want to know more. Uh, I'm I'm caught by the fact that you're right. This doesn't mention anything about Bob Kane, Bill Finger. Yes, this was an opportunity that was missed that could have given credit to Bill Finger. But instead, the focus of this statue seems to be this was the version that Jim Lee did for Hush. And now there's a statue. I almost wish if they weren't going to of justice that we need in response to uh you know uh, a surge of evil or a, a rise in blah 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 someone can say this better than i can especially on the fly but do you know what i mean at least then we could leave the aliens a message i mean look at voyager we put a lot of effort baby sounds natural sounds we've got a you know figure drawing of people all these different things that we really made clear on this record uh, we didn't put that same kind of thought into the statue clearly and other than knowing that this is based on artwork which i'm sure hopefully aliens can understand being i guess we're supposing they're an advanced species or civilization that uh <laughs> from that they can extrapolate what what hushes <laughs> and maybe research some sort of like historical archive to figure out who jim lee i i don't know if any of that's possible i do know <laughs> that when i'm looking at this statue now based on the context you've got we've left the aliens a whole lot of nothing oh wait sorry sponsored by visit burbank I don't even know if Burbank is going to yeah, be contextually <laughs> relevant when the aliens discover it. So that raises a lot of questions, too. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. I, I now. <laughs> I'm 
just trying to be thorough. Hey, you know what? We need that objectivity every once in a while. We need someone who's doing the follow through. Glad to know we can always count on you. Thanks, Cal. Appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Final story, the last of our other section, because what could be more mysterious than other? For this one, our last story happens to do with McFarland Toys showing off some DC multiverse, dark multiverse, and a dark father assortment. Brad, what's your take, my friend? Uh, I think that um, the the whole dark multiverse, Dark Knight Metal, makes for a perfect uh, fodder for McFarland Toys to make characters because they're so over the top and crazy and dark and that just fits with that aesthetic so much and these characters once again are so beautifully beautifully detailed even though i don't buy toys uh, it, it's really cool to kind of live vicariously and see what's coming out at least um but yeah these 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 look uh, incredible uh kelly I already have a space cleared on my shelf for Chainsaw Wonder Woman because I want that <laughs> so badly. <laughs> that was I, I saw this article and immediately started scrolling and was like, oh, they have to have her because there's just something. I mean, the 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 black and blue ombre hair, the just the entire look is so perfect. Um, I'm super bummed that I have to wait, you know, a, a handful of months for them to come out, but I will absolutely, at the very least, have that one probably will get more than one though so stay tuned i might be sending you guys some some videos of some very shoddy stop motions with these (laughs) that's what you think whoa whoa you're telling me these aren't going to be featured on dcn after dark come on (laughs) man honestly i I, i'll find a way (laughs) okay i was gonna say like how can this not be a featured segment like what's new on (laughs) kelly's shelf or kelly's shelf featuring like Seriously? Come on, dude. Like, I I see this as, wow. And yeah, way to go ahead and point out one of the coolest. Because, okay, so Batman with an axe for a moment, and then the moment passes, and I'm like, yeah, but Batman with an axe, just no. Not unless shredding meant he could, like, kill demons or monsters or something with it. Like, you know, Sonic whatevers. Um, Robin King's kind of cool. Superman, I, I dig, but the last two really nail it for me. Yeah, Wonder Woman with the chainsaw, Kel, way to break down the ombre hair. For all of you out there listening, if we ever get Kelly Gaines and Brad Felicki on Felicki Fashions and they're talking fashion and hair, it's about to go down. And I might even show up to have some fun because I know some hair stuff you would never expect me to know about. But then again, I've been some places, I've seen some things, and sometimes I remember stuff. Uh, so this is really sweet with the uh, chainsaw. And then the Dark Father one, just a really cool image of this grotesque Batman dark side twisted version, hand up raised in this powerful sort of like, yeah, I got the whole world in one hand. So, um, and man, overall, like you said, Brad, McFarlane is so over the top that his brand just really seems to just perfectly blend with the concepts that are these characters out of the dark multiverse what a perfect combination i'm not saying it's chocolate and peanut butter it could be it could be chocolate well and vanilla it could be peanut butter and jelly you'll have to tell me what this combination really looks like in your eyes brad kelly i'm not going to put you on the spot right now 
However, if you ever come up with an example you'd wish to share with us, won't get mad. Mac and cheese? Who knows? That's our final story, not only for the other news, but for this episode, episode number 95 of the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. You've heard me blabbering a lot, but thankfully you've also heard amazing insight from Brad Felicki and Kelly Gaines, which means you're probably going to want to hear more. We don't want to keep that a secret. So, Brad, I'm going to start off with you. How can the good people find you out there in the, the wider world? They want to know more, and you've got great answers. Uh, you can find me uh, running news reviews, DC Comics News. Uh, you can find me also on the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. And Kelly? Uh, you can also find me on Mad Love the Harley Quinn cast and doing opinion and editorial pieces for DC Comics News. Um, you can also find me on DC Comics News, one of our YouTube shows, DCN After Dark. And you can find me on Twitter at KelGainsWright. And Seth? You can find me hanging out with the most amazing people I've been lucky enough to include uh, in my life. That's here on the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. You can catch me just sort of rambling into a microphone, hosting the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, and getting raunchy with the same group of folks for Harley Quinn, Mad Love, all the wonder that goes with it. If you haven't yet, you need to check out DCN After Dark with Kelly Gaines. You need to bug Brad Felicki so that you can experience the wonder that will be Felicki fashioned. Because I'm not <laughs> letting up, brother. I refuse to yield. <laughs> I will not yield. And with that, <laughs> I declare that there is more coming your way. You're going to want to make sure you're a part of it. How can you make sure you're a part of it? Well, really simple. You're going to want to follow DC Comics News on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Yeah, I totally bypassed myself. I'll come around to it in a second. I'm going to talk about you guys because, well, what can you say? Sometimes it's just a family thing. Uh, DC Comics News Podcast Network, available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Subscribe now. Get great content. Whether you're checking us out on whatever your favorite platform is, you subscribe. And you'll get all the great shows we were just talking about and Find us on all of your other social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr. Man, there's so much. When you do, go ahead and send a message through at DC Comics News. And you can check out other content that we've got on our social media channels. DC Comics News, DCN After Dark is just the beginning. More is coming your way. Leave us a message. Send us your thoughts. Uh, as I said, I bypass me. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. I've been extremely grateful to hang out with Brad Felicki and Kelly Gaines. If you want to find me, uh, Seth Singleton and the word story into a search engine. Otherwise, uh, you'll like my dogs, Bruno and Fiji on Instagram. You might like me, uh, one more Singleton on Twitter. And more importantly, you're going to love catching all the great episodes we've got coming your way whether it's on the DC Comics News podcast network, on our social media platforms, or all the other things that we're still working on and we can't wait to tell you about. In the meantime, it's time for us to wrap this one up with a final credo that, well, it just gets sweeter every time we say it. And that is to always read more comics. Thanks, everyone. See you soon. <laughs>